Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 133 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are our father-son duo here to talk about the Nebraska Cornhuskers, our favorite team, and the rest of the college football world, uh, podcast by college football fans for college football fans. Exactly. And we- and we are here today to talk about Nebraska's win over Rutgers, as well as some interesting shakeups in our uh, coaching search and some of the big games from week six and seven of college football. Sounds like a good topic, Alex. Let's go for it, man. Yeah, with maybe a dad rant thrown in there somewhere along the way. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but before we dive into all that, we're going to stick with our tradition and open up a cold beverage here for the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, I am out of my uh, beer at the moment, so I just have a Sprite for us. Okay. And I am going to be drinking literally like my last kilt lifter. Uh, it's a it's a Scottish-style amber ale uh, produced by Four Peaks Brewing Company out of Tempe, Arizona. It's a fabulous beer, so if any of you out there listening find yourself in Arizona, look for Four Peaks and specifically Kilt Lifter. It's a fabulous beer. There we go. Man, we should get a sponsorship from them at this rate. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Ah, very good. All right. Yes, that is a fine flavor. So we'll be diving into the Rutgers game first thing, uh, Nebraska's game from this past Friday, not Saturday. And we gave our usual predictions on the previous podcast for the score. Um, I predicted kind of a higher scoring game of uh, 45-28, Nebraska victory. And you predicted a bit lower scoring, uh, 45-21, or I'm sorry, 35-21. But both of us uh, feeling like we could continue on the momentum from the previous uh, Indiana game. Um, and we did pull out the W. However, it was a, a much closer rung affair than I think we would have liked of a 14 to 13. Um, one of the preconditions for my prediction was that I was hoping that the uh, coaches would really drill in on the penalties and trying to cut down on that uh, since the Indiana game was chock full of all that. Um, that really didn't end up happening. We still had nine penalties in this game. Um, it was very ugly on the offensive side of the ball in particular. So not quite the uh, step up in performance I was hoping to see. Right. And I, and I genuinely thought, uh, based on uh, Rutgers' performance up to this point in the season, that our offense would be able to find some traction and make some uh, headway in terms of moving the football and, and ultimately scoring. And we struggled uh, quite a bit, frankly, to to do that on any kind of consistent basis. Um, their defense stifled our our offense, especially our offensive line. It, it, our quarterback was um, he's lucky he survived. <laughs> yeah. Well, one other factor is that um, we did have some drives where we had some um, success, you know, driving the ball, but then we would end it with you know, a turnover, right? And then we wouldn't get any points out of it. Um, so those yards don't really end up meeting much. Right. But, but you know what? So did they, right? I mean, true. I, they, they had three interceptions uh, in the second half alone. Now, one of those was the last play of the game or near effectively the last one of the last plays of the game. Uh, we also had really 
poor field position, if I remember correctly. Um, so we were forced to drive the length of the field. Right. On a few drives. Well, because the, the, by contrast, the defense in general uh, did a good job, uh, kept them totally scoreless in the second half, only 13 points, you know, forced them to kick some field goals, right? Um, but they were able to, you know, they would get a first down or two, right, and then get stopped, which meant that we were starting with rough field position most of the time. Um, but the defense was giving our offense a lot of opportunities, and on so many of them, We'd get like one first down and then three and out or, you know, throw it three times in a row and get nothing. So, yeah, it was a it was a frustrating day in that regard. It really was. Yep. And uh, so there was no rhythm off uh, on the offensive side for us. And uh, but, you know, um, let's talk about defense for just a minute here, Alex. I mean, we we gave up you know, a touchdown in a fairly short number of plays to them in the first drive, right? Like they right. went 75 or whatever yards on that first drive, went in and scored seven points. After that, they had, a, they had a blocked field goal that led directly to three points because uh, I don't think they might've gotten one first down after that, but I don't think they did. I think they went three plays and then they, on the fourth down, they kicked the field goal. So uh, right. there's another three points. That's 10 of their 13, you know? So, well, so our defense... It was a blocked uh, punt, not a blocked field goal. Yeah, blocked punt. I'm sorry, you're right. But my point is that there's another three of their points. So they really only... Their offense only produced three points after the first drive of the game. Mm-hmm. Which is which is really saying something about how well Nebraska's defense adjusted after that initial series. Right. No, that's true. Well, and and that stop after they had the block punt and we kept them to a field goal because they were within the goal line, I'm pretty sure. Um, And we managed to stop them on third down, force them to kick that field goal. And that was a key uh, momentum moment to keep us hanging in there. It it really was. And and I will I will say uh, without overstating the the Nebraska defensive success, I'm very pleased with what I've seen from them the last couple of weeks. I feel like Billy, uh, Billy Bush is, is is making a difference, right? He's ha- he's had a significant impact, but uh, Rutgers, which has historically been a pretty disciplined football team, a lower a lower penalty type of football uh, program, they shot themselves in the foot a lot throughout this game. That's true. Uh, yeah, including yeah, there was uh, one in particular, right, where they they had a nice pass I think it was in the third or fourth quarter uh that, that got, got, then got called for offensive pass interference and <laughs> and it re- it really wasn't there um so right. we, we kind of got a lucky break on that one but I swear there was more offensive pass interference on both sides of the ball in this game than I've ever seen before <laughs> there absolutely was uh I was watching it was with some friends and we're like okay have you ever seen five offensive pass interference calls in one game uh, there were five that we observed five <laughs> and 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 almost all of them were questionable either way you know i mean uh yes was there arm engagement and and was there extension and all that yes there was but if you watch it it's clear that there there was not a lot of push there was barely a touch you know um uh, and and that goes both ways i mean there were some bad calls on uh on um uh rutgers no doubt about it bad calls and then there were bad calls against us too Right, uh, but th- that that referee just doesn't understand the rules. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. He didn't he didn't understand the damn rule. I remember thinking at the time that yeah, that Rutgers offensive pass interference was a bad call, but I think there was a bad offensive pass interference on us earlier, so I kind of felt like it balanced out. Yep. Uh, oh yeah. Well, we talked about the fact are, are these referees are they are they covering? You know what I mean? Like are they are they adjusting for the fact they screwed up previously so they do another one to make it even? Mm. I I don't know, but right. that was just not a very good crew they they had a bad night yeah that crew had a bad bad night one interesting stat uh looking here both teams had nine penalties so rough night for both like you said but if you look at the yards ours were for 67 yards while theirs were for 97 so while right. it was the same amount a lot of ours were five yard false starts right uh whereas right. they had some more damaging 15 yard oh, yeah. type penalties the biggest one was the uh the tackle out of bounds, right? The the roughing oh, or whatever yes. late in the game. That was a that was the that was the key to the game as far as giving us the window of opportunity. I mean, that was just ridiculous. That guy was really stupid for doing that. I mean that he if he doesn't do that, we don't win. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. So Yep. That's true. Um I mean once again credit to the uh to the defense, right, when we got that uh turnover you know, finally late in the game. Right. Um, then we get the ball. And uh, I've talked in, in the past about how I've been frustrated, right? Where sometimes on first down, uh, we go for this longer passing play instead of just getting a shorter, you know, a less risky uh, call mm-hmm. to just get some yards and get the first down. Right. And we did that right. several times this game and it didn't work. But then after that turnover, we come out, we throw a 30 yard pass <laughs> to the end zone and it's there and it's a immediate touchdown and we're up by one point. Um, and that was a real uh, knife in the back to Rutgers because it was like a two hit punch, right? They got the turnover Absolutely. and we immediately scored. Absolutely. And, and uh, uh, Trey Palmer who caught that pass ran a great route. I mean, he hitched, uh, not hitched, but he just took a little sidestep and then just took off straight down the field and, I mean, it was it was there. It was a great throw. Um, that was a great play. But you're right. I, I'm also not a big fan of doing that. And and the, because frankly, I think we have done that so much. It's a tendency, right? If I'm a defensive coordinator, I pretty much know that if we come on quick change because we got a turnover, Nebraska's going to go for a big shot on the first play. Mm-hmm. It's like that's what we do. Yeah. And and to me, that shouldn't be the case. You should be way more variable and unpredictable. And taking that big shot should be the rare occasion so that they can actually be, on a percentage basis, more effective um, as opposed to doing it so many times with the first play of a series. And then, you know, it almost becomes predictable. Right. Um Another interesting stat is in terms of third down conversions, we were uh, five of 14 Well, they were four of 16. Uh, and as right. a result of that, we are actually uh, number one in the big 10 on uh, third downs on defense. Uh, we, wow. they, on, <laughs> they only convert 27.1% of the time. Well, <laughs> we, we have played, if you look at the standings, <laughs> yeah. we have played the worst teams, in the big 10 so far. So those stats don't mean squat okay <laughs> i know I but know. but but it is it's great to see that that's just like the stat that says we're tied for the lead for the 
for the West Division, right? right. Hell, man, we're number one right now. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I was disappointed in this performance. I was really hoping, frankly, expecting that our offense would have more success than we did. Uh, it, it frightens me how bad the offensive line played. I mean, it's just atrocious. Right. I can't believe that these guys who were highly recruited, I mean, some of these guys are four-star players, all right? Now, granted, we got some walk-on, you know, no-names in that group too, but the ones that are highly rated are the ones that are just turnstiles, and it just blows me away how bad their feet are. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's a joke. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we we complimented the offensive line a bit on the last week's podcast after the Indiana game, right? Because they did show some improvement. But we mentioned how we mentioned how this was a Greg Schiano coach defense, right? And it wasn't going to be as easy, uh, and it definitely wasn't. Because, like you said, there was felt like Rutgers guys were getting in the backfield almost every play, especially in the first half. Uh, yeah, yeah. Casey Thompson just constantly on the run, you know, had to, uh, go out, you know, into the injury tent again after getting right. sacked. <laughs> oh, he took a shot. I mean, yeah, a shot in this game. And I'm like, Oh God, he ain't getting up. So you just can't do that. I mean, Thompson's not going to last many more games. We're going to end up playing a game without him real soon because he's getting the hell beat out of him. Right. So, uh, and our, you know, our left and right tackle have got to learn how to block. They've got to change their technique. Something has to happen because they're doing these stupid little short steps to the left, you know, and a, and a defensive end just simply runs around them. And if that happens once, okay, I get it. You're doing the short steps because you don't want the guy doing a swim move and going to your inside. And then they even have a shorter distance to the quarterback, right? So you got to protect your inside. I get that. All right. But, when the guy can just flat out beat you to the corner every time he wants, even though you know that's what's coming because that's all he's doing, okay, and he's tiny, he's, he, you're, you know, he's, he's given up 50, 60 pounds to you, you should be able to engage that guy and knock the shit out of him, okay? I'm sorry, this, make your steps bigger. I, whatever it takes for you to move laterally faster, You've got to figure what out, figure that out. Right. You just got to. Well, because right now their footwork is horrendous. Well, and speaking of the Thompson, um, I really thought that after I think it was after he threw the second interception in the game um, that we were going to bring out uh, Chubba Purdy as our right. second team quarterback on the next drive. Uh, and admittedly, it was one where we were backed up against the end zone, right by a punt from them. And the last time we did that. Uh, Chubba right. Purdy immediately uh, got sacked and fumbled. fumbled the ball in the end zone and gave Oklahoma a touchdown. Right. Um, right. So Indiana I wasn't it? Maybe. Or yeah, you're right. It was Indiana. So regardless, yeah. I I know that that was in the back of everyone's mind, but I'm like, well, Thompson's clearly not getting it done, right? And then Thompson does come out immediately gets sacked. That's the one where he took that big shot. Did go out, and we had Purdy yep. in anyways. Uh, right, but then Thompson came out as the quarterback in the second half, which surprised me. And that right. drive was our was only great. our only good, nice drive of the game, where we come out in the second Absolutely. half and immediately uh, score seven on them. Yep. So, and we, we don't want to uh, del delve too much into this one game. Uh, bottom line is, like you said, it's a W. We won the football game. That shows a a grit, a 
a, a desire to fight for 60 minutes that we haven't seen in the, you know, Scott Frost era. So that's a great tip of the cap to, to Mickey in terms of what he's been able to get the team to fight. Okay. But it's still clear. We are devoid of talent in some really important spots. And, and, it, and we, we've been able to overcome that for two weeks in a row, but now it's big boy football from here on out. Right. And uh, we're going to be playing teams that are number one, deeper than us. Their frontline people are more talented than ours. And so for us to hang with any of these teams that we have to play now, it, it's going to take a dramatic increase in our performance. Our defense, I think, is is on a trajectory where we might be able to get into that mix with some of these middle-of-the-road Big Ten teams that happen to be at the higher end of the West, like a Purdue and Illinois and uh, Wisconsin, Miss, uh, Minnesota. I mean, those four teams, I really think Iowa, is, I don't, I am struggling to figure out what's going on with them. Because they obviously have a very good defense, like they always do, but their offense is atrocious. And so the question becomes, are they ever going to get, get it together offensively? Uh, but Wisconsin definitely got it together. You know, some of these other teams. And Purdue seems to be the most balanced team, uh, offense and defense, uh, that I am, I've seen in recent weeks. And Illinois also would be right there with them. So our next two opponents frankly, are two of the most balanced teams in the West. Right. Uh, well, one other thing to note about this Rutgers game is that it did finally break our streak of uh, losing one-score games, right? That was the right. big talking point under Scott Frost. We lost so many in a row. So we finally won one of these close games. Um, so we could put that in our cap at least. And two two Big Ten victories in a row, which we hadn't done in quite some time. Yeah. Um and now, uh, so yeah, before we move on from this game, I guess this might be the spot where we would talk about, I, I was perusing, uh, you know, the bulletin boards and, and a little bit of social media. And apparently Dan Patrick, uh, and I'm going to have to go and actually listen to what he had to say, uh, brought it up on his show today about the unsportsmanlike behavior of the team after the victory. I just watched video of it. And I'm going to call Dan Patrick out and say, if he took time out of his three-hour show on a Monday morning to talk about uh, basically about a 25-second period of time when Nebraska players, uh, on their way to the locker room, which means they were walking past the end zone, one of the end zones that Rutgers uses, and, and is, it happens to be the end zone where the student section is, and there were some lingering students who were probably shouting some not-so-nice things to Nebraska players, uh, and so the, the players decided to do a little uh, celebratory dance for, at most, 20 seconds, okay? And there were five or six of them. It's not like the whole team got on the on, – and specifically got in the, in the end zone and danced on Rutgers' name or anything like that. It's nothing like that. It was, it was 20 seconds of about five or six players doing a little celebratory dance and, and maybe saying a few things back to the crowd who was still in, in the stadium. I don't care what they said. Okay, uh, that is absolutely acceptable for a team who's celebrating a victory that has been hard fought like 
like that one where we won late in the game and there was drama, right? And so for someone to say that's unsportsmanlike and, you know, oh, how Nebraska's fallen, I'm calling out Dan Patrick and saying that's bullshit. Sorry for the French. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I haven't seen the clip. I didn't really hear about this commotion, so I'm not sure who brought it up as a big deal uh, in the first place. Um, But but I I usually respect Dan Patrick. I think he's a pretty good – I enjoy his program, um, you know, uh, but he's from Ohio. He's an Ohio State fan. He went to Dayton. I don't think he went to Ohio State. But for him to call Nebraska out for that, that's just way out of bounds. I mean, he's being a wuss. I could I could highlight Ohio State being asses and being unsportsmanlike way more than that. Right. No, very true. Very true. You know, uh, let he who uh, he who is innocent cast the first stone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. All right. Um, so talking a bit about that Purdue game, right? Because that is our uh, next upcoming game upcoming game and after that we have a bye week before we play illinois um right this is another away game so we've got two back-to-back away games um and like you say our schedule does play out kind of interestingly in that like the the opponents kind of get progressively harder as we move along um uh and well at least that's what you would say in a traditional year right because usually like wisconsin iowa minnesota right those are the ones we'd be uh more scared of uh, but then in actuality, right, those teams have all kind of found ways to lose some games. Um, and Purdue and Illinois are looking better than they have historically. Um, and I I happened to watch Purdue's, uh, the recap of Purdue's most recent game against Maryland from last week, um, which they won uh, 31-29. Uh, it was at Maryland. Um, and it was an interesting game in that uh, Purdue actually did have, I think they had three turnovers and then Maryland gave one back to them. So Purdue was minus two um, and was actually up, I believe it was um, 31, uh, I guess 23 it must have been, um, because they had blocked an extra point of Maryland's earlier in the game. But there was only like a minute and a half left, and they let Maryland drive the ball down on them. So Maryland drove the ball down late, uh, scored a touchdown, but then they had to go for two to tie it up and not just kick the PAT because the earlier PAT had been blocked, right? So that uh, two-point conversion gets stopped by Purdue. They win the game by two, but it was a bit of a close call on their end. Right. Well, and, and the thing is, Maryland has a lot of talent, right? But because they, they, they reside in that Eastern Division, which right now clearly has this, the strength of the Big Ten in it, um, you know, their record is not that great and probably won't be that great by the end of the season, uh, even though they're a pretty talent-rich program. I mean, that quarterback is, is damn good for, for Maryland, and they got some other talent on that team as well. Now, Purdue, though, um, yeah, they're not a juggernaut. Like, they don't, they're not dominant, but they're very good at everything they do, right? Um, and that reflects their coach. I, I have great respect for that coach at Purdue. And um, um, they scare the bejesus out of me. I'll just say that right now. Right. Uh, well, one thing I did, you know, once again, it was just a quick recap of the game, so I didn't see the full breadth of it. Uh, but I did take note that uh, they have some tight ends that are not fast, but they are big and uh, they are powerful. Uh, so that's right. going to be a problem uh, for us tackling them, I think. 
Well, and 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 also they have a they have they always have a big running back. That's kind of been his thing. And I don't know their running backs that well, but I guarantee you they're going to have some speed at running back. But then they're going to have a bruiser type guy, and maybe it's one of the tight ends this year. But they always integrate that into their into their scheme. And then you know he he's been running this scheme for a long time. It's well established at Purdue. So uh, you know our. Our defense is going to be challenged in a way they have not been challenged um, since, you know, the Oklahoma offense probably. Um, but but um, I just I just I worry a little bit that our defense is not going to be able to do what it's done the last two weeks. That's not going to happen again. We're going to give up some more points. So our offense has to find a way. And this is where the challenge is: is that Purdue's defense is pretty damn salty. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, the the real uh, spotlight's going to be on the offense this week uh, because the defense uh, definitely bailed them out of the uh, of the previous game against Rutgers um, and a bit against Indiana as well. Um, so, you know, we really need to figure some things out. I hope that they are giving uh, some snaps to Chubba Purdy in practice, right? Because they have to know that, you know, Thompson uh, is not going to be long-term with us to the end of the season, right? So you got to be giving Purdy some snaps to get his confidence up so that when we do bring him in, he doesn't just fold like a paper bag, right? We don't want that to happen. Yep. Exactly. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and in terms of scheming, uh, how we're going to attack this, this Purdue defense, it's, it's going to be tough because I, I think it's going to be very difficult with their defensive line for us to run the football against them, given how poor our offensive line is. And what that's going to require is, I, I, you know, one thing that it, uh, I think is pretty clear in the two games, uh, three games, since uh, Mickey has taken over as head coach is, you know, one of the first things he did was simplify. He asked his, his assistant coaches to simplify so that the, the kids could, could get better at the things they do that were core. And that's fine. But now it's you got you got two or three weeks of film of Nebraska. If you have um, too simple of an offense, you don't have enough variety in your running game. Then your running game becomes inept because you know what they they've prepared for those four or five plays that are the most common plays you run. And if that's all you got, if that's all you're comfortable running, you're going to do nothing in the offensive uh, in in the run game. And, and if we can't find some ways to produce some yards, whether that's with a short passing game or whether that's with some you know, movement on the offensive line, I mean, I get that our offensive line is very poor. And so the idea of doing pulling guards and you know, trying to do some lead blocking stuff, cross blocking, might be uh, asking too much for a line that's already struggling. But we got to do something to, uh, to give us some variety in our running game. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we're in trouble. I totally agree with everything you said there. Um, two interesting points. Uh, Purdue opened the, in the sports betting world as 13.5 favorites over us. Um, so they are definitely uh, considered to be the better team by the general public. Um, and they and they do have two losses this year against uh, ranked opponents, um, but both of them were close. They lost 35-31 to Penn State and 32-29 to Syracuse. Yep. Well, and... And yeah, they're they're a good football team. They just are. They're a solid football team across the board. Are, are they? Uh, you know, I think 
that Purdue and Illinois so far have shown themselves to be the two most complete teams in the West. Uh, what I saw from Wisconsin this past week leads me to believe that they could become a third in that mix. And, you know, I'm still unsure about Minnesota. But those three, for sure. But I don't look at any of those and say, oh, gee, they're a threat to Ohio State. You know, that's right. just, I don't see that. Right. I would agree. Um, so now we get to our uh, predictions for this Purdue game. Uh, and I think I'm going to stick along your lines in that, you know, I would feel differently if the offense uh, made some steps forward in the game against Rutgers and we were having less penalties, right? Those are the two main things I was hoping to see. And I didn't see them. Uh, so because of that, I feel like I have to say that Purdue is going to beat us. Um, I think uh, given the turnovers that happened in the Maryland game, I think our defense is good enough that we'll get at least one uh, turnover on from them. Um, but the question is, will our offense be able to capitalize on that opportunity? And will the defense tire out? I really felt like, you know, the defense is going to tire out against Rutgers because they were, you know, staying committed to a running game. Right. Uh, and to, to their credit, uh, we really didn't because we were able to three and out them so much, right, that the defense wasn't out on the field um, for too many extended periods. Um, but I don't think that'll be the case against Purdue. Uh, so I'm going to predict that Purdue wins, uh, and I will say it'll be uh, 24 to uh, 10 Nebraska. Okay. You know what? I, and it's a generally a, a good assessment. I would kind of agree with a lot of the things that you said, I, I think, you know, the path to Nebraska being victorious in this game is that our, our offense has to find some offense, uh, some running plays on offense that can be effective. And that means some things that we, maybe we haven't shown. And, and, and you know, maybe, maybe we work on that this week and we, we come out with some new variety that we haven't seen. But if we come into this game with the same basic offensive uh, plays and game plan that we've had in recent weeks, I think we're in for a blowout type disaster. So I'm going to stop short of that. I'm going to say I, I, I have confidence that Mickey's going to try to do something a little different. He's going to try to motivate these guys and, and get them to understand that, hey, the, you know, the, the level of play goes up. You know, John Cook, our, our volleyball coach, is very good at explaining to his team, hey, we need to step up. It's now time to take what you've been doing and put the standard higher. You know, you know. At first, he talks about going, uh, getting good, and then you got to go from good to great, and then you go from great to unstoppable. That's his hierarchy, and uh, and uh, and we need we need to go. We're still in that. We got to get good, right? <laughs> so to get good, you have to have enough variety. So I'm looking for us to show some some new variety in our offense. If we don't do that, I, I think it's going to be more like a 45 to 10 type of victory for Purdue. So uh, until I see that actually play out for Nebraska, um, I'm going to say that things are going to kind of get ugly, not because our defense necessarily uh, regresses a lot, but I think that they're going to wear out. I think that we're not going to be able to sustain anything offensively, and that's going to lead to the defense eventually wearing out, at, well, along with a few offensive mistakes, and the and the and it snowballs in a in an away stadium at Purdue, and we get beat pretty badly, and everything kind of comes back to back to earth uh, in terms of um, our excitement over two 
wins. I, I will say this one thing after giving that prediction. If Mickey gets this victory, if he finds a way to get these guys to gut it out and to find a way, and they win this football game, to me, that's the biggest victory that, that has happened this season. In fact, one of the biggest victories uh, of recent years in Nebraska, if we can pull this off. And it then gives us, you talked about it earlier, Alex, it gives us an off week and then the Illinois game. And all of a sudden, if we can win this game, now we're in serious conversation about the Big Ten West. Right. Because if we can beat that team, we can beat Illinois. We can beat Minnesota. We can maybe beat Wisconsin. We can beat Iowa. I don't think even in all those, we probably still lose to, Min, uh, to Michigan. But, but if we win all those other ones, we're probably Big Ten West champions. You know? So that's how important this game is. If we find a way to win this one, then we can legitimately begin to say, hey, we're, we're a legitimate contender in the Big Ten West. If we lose this game like I'm predicting we are pretty substantially, then it's going to be, okay, reality's back, and now it's, God, can we win one more game? Right, because this Purdue team did beat uh, Minnesota earlier in the season. so And Penn State. Well, no, no, no. They, lo- they lost to Penn State. Oh, you're right. They lost, but barely. Right. Yeah, they, they yeah. kept it close. Yeah, you're right. But um, yeah, and, and they did beat Minnesota. Yeah, and so your official prediction is 45 to 10 then? Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid it is. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, Husker fans. <laughs> um, one other just tiny note, it's not a big deal, but is worth noting is that because we played Rutgers on Friday, right, we had one more extra day of uh, practice, right, or rest right. at least for uh, our team. Um, so that's uh, that's one small thing in our favor. Yep. Well, and like I say, if, if I see an offense that has some variety that I haven't seen and that our offensive line shows that little leap of improvement because they're doing some things a little differently, then I, I might actually get excited, but I'm just not anticipating that. Right. All right. Um, now, before we transition into some of the national games, which there were quite a few interesting ones in week six of college football, um, there are some interesting rumors and shakeups in the uh, coaching carousel landscape that we, of course, are looking at because we are looking for a new head coach, uh, which is that, uh, well, one, this is just kind of funny. Uh, Rutgers fired their offensive coordinator, Sean Gleason, after our game uh, because yeah. their offense was so bad. Um, right. Uh, but number when, when you can't when you can't make points or generate points against Nebraska, you get fired. Okay. Yeah, that is what happens. Um, <laughs> but then also in the NFL, uh, the Carolina Panthers fired Matt Rule, uh, who was the uh, Baylor coach before um, what's his name was there. Um, uh, Aranda. Aranda. Yep. Before Aranda got hired, Matt Rule was there. And he left Baylor specifically for the NFL. It wasn't like he was fired from Baylor. Um, and uh, Matt Campbell, I think, has kind of fallen down on people's uh, charts for potential Nebraska coach, right? Cause Iowa state has kind of lost several games in a row here. Hasn't looked great. Um, so what do you think are the chances or, you know, uh, options for Matt rule possibly being a candidate? Well, so, I mean, Matt rule was a name that has been brought up literally since the day that Scott was fired. Um, Matt is a guy that 
uh, before he was at Baylor, he rebuilt Temple University uh, from being literally the worst football team in Division One, and led them to conference championships and you know ten win seasons and that sort of thing. Okay, and then he was you know uh, given the Baylor job. He took that job, inherited uh, 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 a uh, NCA probation and some really ugly off-the-field issues uh, that he had to overcome. And in, and in a matter of seasons, he rebuilt that program into an 11-win season and a contender you know, for the Big 12 championship. And then he was given the opportunity for Carolina. And he, clearly, he was wanting the opportunity to be an NFL coach. Now, he's gotten to that NFL level, and he has not had success. Now, um, you know, some would say, well, then he, you know, he's not the guy we want because he, he sucks. He was terrible. But guess what? Nick Saban was horrible in the NFL. Urban Meyer was who all kinds of people want to talk about horrible in the NFL, just atrocious. I mean, just God awful. Um, Bill O'Brien, who's another one of our candidates, horrible, horrible experience in the NFL, even though he had some good success as an assistant in the NFL and as a head coach at Penn State, right? So, so you, you begin to look at over the years, there's been quite a number. Steve Spurrier, you know, a guy who was tremendously successful at the collegiate level, goes to the NFL and, and falls on his face. It's not an uncommon thing. So yeah. I could look at the Matt Rule thing and say, okay, I'm going to give him a pass for his NFL uh, performance, but I look at his collegiate ex- performance and I like what I see, but he hasn't had a lot of time in, in the big, in the big time, you know, he's been in big 12, but he's not been in the sec. He's got no time in the big, uh, in the big 10. So there's a little bit of gap there, but the thing that makes Matt rule particularly attractive is he checks a lot of those boxes He's a guy that's built programs. He knows how to build programs. He's clearly been a good recruiter when he was at those different locations, right? So he's had that kind of success. But he now also is is a fired NFL coach that had an $8 million contract and for like another four years. So if you're Nebraska and you're looking to put yourself in a position where you can give yourself a huge pool of dollars for your assistance, for your new head coach, you could hire a guy like that, give him $4 million a year. Carolina Panthers are going to be paying the other four. So he's still going to get paid $8 million a year as a head coach. But now we're paying only four, and we can add another 2 or $3 million to the assistant coaching pool for four years with a backloaded contract you know, for him um, that – basically ensures that, hey, if you have success in your first four years, you start building, we're going to pay you handsomely, right? So it would be a financially attractive arrangement. He's a guy that checks the boxes in terms of his experience, um, and he's still moderately young enough that uh, he's a guy that you could get, and if he's the right fit, you've got a guy that could be there for 15 years or more. So. Right. I think he's a very attractive candidate. And because he's coming from the NFL, you could kind of play this off for a few weeks, let it play out, give him a chance to kind of catch his breath, uh, start the conversation, but don't, don't, don't be real aggressive or go fast with it. 
but keep keep him connected with you and then let Mickey Joseph's situation play out because my my feeling is is that you know right now there's a lot of pro Mickey conversation but that will die very rapidly if over the next two games Nebraska ends up with two losses now if Mickey wins these next two games I tell you what the momentum for the Mickey Joseph uh, head coach train will will be massive right right but but I, I'm anticipating I'm being realistic and my my most realistic thing would be a guy like a Matt rule or a number of other guys we've talked about becomes the head coach a Dave Aranda and then they hire Mickey as part of their staff and Mickey gets paid and he and he is able to stay at Nebraska and we can utilize his recruiting phenomenal recruiting expertise and connections to help us build our program. So there's my thoughts on, on the, the whole thing, but there's, there's just so much time. I, I don't think Trev's going to be saying boo about any kind of head coach until we get into November. Um, frankly, you know, it's going to be sometime in, you know, mid November or maybe slightly before mid November. Right. Well, I was going to say, though, is mid-November too late? Because you're only giving him like a month and a half right before the signing day period. Well, uh, to to Mickey's credit, he's recruiting hard and he's asking his staff to recruit hard. He's told everyone, hey, I'm recruiting like we're the staff. You know, a lot of a lot of interim head coaches w- wouldn't do that, but Mickey is. So. Uh, you know, we're going to have another bye week here and we'll see, but I have a feeling that Mickey's going to make some inroads and there are some weird rules. Like, I think there's like an unlimited, like there's no scholarship limit for a coach now that comes in as a new coach because of uh, the portal and stuff. I think there's still a scholarship limit of freshmen, but I think you can go beyond the 25. Um, I, I, I'll have to research that a little bit, but I don't think I'm speaking out of school that there's some new rules with regard to new coaches that would open the door and allow a new coach to come in and get you know, over time. And keep in mind, yes, we've got the deadline of the early signing period in December, but then you still have the, the February, early February date as a secondary one as well. That could include a bunch of transfer portal people that happen after the semester, right? So combine those two. We could we could have a very different roster by you know February fifth, right? Yeah, that's true. I, I guess you know because the by the second signing period, right? Most of the the freshman recruits, the new recruits, have already signed, right? That's kind of the trend right. we've seen. But it is true that that extends the window for the portal stuff, which is becoming more of a factor in recruiting in modern college football, right? So right. And, and I've read some things, and I don't know the rules. So, I, I, I mean, this is something maybe you and I need to research, and we can clarify that in our next podcast. But I'm pretty sure that there are now some rules that say, hey, if you're a new coach, you're not restricted to the 25 scholarship limit uh, when you're talking about portal. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have more than 25 freshmen, but but you could go beyond that 25 uh, in bringing people into the portal because there's, there's a recognition or an assumption that, uh, you know, there would be a mass exodus as well, right, from Nebraska. Right. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Matt Rule, personally, I 
you know, in the in the modern coaching landscape, I don't know if we could get away with paying a coach like him only four million, even with the money that he's getting from the NFL. Uh, but I do think that just having the fact that he was fired from the NFL and doesn't have a job right now, which means there'd be no buyout from Nebraska, right? Unlike if we went after a Dave Aranda or something like that, um, already makes him uh, more attractive financially speaking. Exactly, and. And my point is, is that if if you're Dave Aranda's agent, obviously you want you want to have your cake and eat it too. But if Nebraska gives him six, then then Carolina only pays two million. But if Nebraska gives four, Carolina pays four. So there's no incentive for uh, you know in that conversation for them to talk unless Nebraska is going to give Rule more than eight million dollars, which they're not for a, a recently fired head coach, right? right? So so I think you immediately are in the conversation of, hey, let's play this game as best we can. And there are probably some rules about that. You know, like if, if they went too low, if they went to $2 million and uh, made, made uh, Carolina pay $6 million, there might be some lawsuit about that. I, I don't know what the contract language is. But, but the bottom line is I think there's some reasonableness in there. And you could say, hey, you know, we were paying Scott Frost $4 million a year. We're paying our new coach $4 million a year. What's the problem? We could justify that in a court of law. You know what I mean? Um, and then at Carolina, you made that commitment. We didn't. Right. And and we're putting it on the back end because after four years, we'll know whether we've got a guy that we really like or not. So we're willing to pay him $8 million if after four years his performance says we want to give him that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think there is some legalese yet that goes on there. Right. Yeah. We don't quite understand all that, but uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Obviously we'll keep an eye on the coaching carousel moving forward here into the season. Um, Transitioning to week six of college football. um, We're going to kind of speed run through some of these, um, but we did give a prediction uh, for uh, two of the games, actually Uh, one being uh, Kansas versus TCU, a big matchup ranked matchup in the big 12. Um, and we predicted that TC would win. Uh, I, I said it would be 52-35. You said uh, 42-28. Uh, and the final score ended up being uh, 38-31. Uh, so still high-scoring game. Uh, but Kansas kept it closer than either of us were expecting. Right. Right. Well, and, and, and Kansas did score later, right? So I think there was more of a separation with TCU and them until later in the game. And then Kansas pushed it and and got close. I mean, I I watched the recap and I think uh, TCU might've been ahead by one touchdown. They were, they were ahead by one or touchdown, maybe 10 points at certain points, but it it was never a massive lead. It was 31, 31 for quite a while. You're right. No, it was never a massive lead, but, but I, I know that Kansas was the one that came on at the end of the game to score last. Am I not correct about that? Uh, well, no, TCU scored last. It oh, was did 30, they? Yeah, okay. it was 31-31, and TCU scored last to win the game. Oh, I guess I was thinking I was thinking KU had come back. Okay, yeah, my mistake. So, yeah. Yeah, the recap I saw of the game was very quick, so it just seemed like, you know, kind of traditional Big 12, right? You know, lots of big passing plays, you know, lots of offense on both sides. Um you know, so uh, good on can't, uh, you know, obviously, like I, I expected T- TCU to win. You know, I was impressed by their uh, speed that they showed in their previous game. 
uh, but good on Kansas for hanging with them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, I, I genuinely thought that athletic difference would show up. And so I think uh, Kansas did quite well uh, and, and competed the whole way, 60 minutes. Yep. Uh, and you mentioned uh, not being sure about Iowa earlier. Uh, they actually played against Illinois, our next opponent after Purdue. Uh, Illinois won nine to six in another uh, classic <laughs> Iowa football game. It would seem. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I didn't. Okay. I knew it was close. I didn't know it was like that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I. I mean, I just assume it was a lot of field goals and, you know, good defense being played, but not much offense. It would seem on either side. So. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. It'll be. It'll be interesting to see where Nebraska is as a team when we get to them. Uh, because right. if our offense has managed to step it up, uh, then I think we could really beat them. Um, but as it is currently, I feel like they would kill Casey Thompson and put him on a spit. <laughs> exactly. I would agree. <laughs> I right. would agree. Um, and then, of course, there was the uh, Red River shootout, uh, the classic oh. rivalry game, uh, which we predicted on last podcast. Uh both teams unranked uh, for the first time in a long time. Um, and you said that uh, Texas would win uh, 45 31. And I thought that Oklahoma would win uh, 38 35. Uh, in my defense, uh, I did say <laughs> after thinking about it more that I wanted to switch to Texas. But then you said, no, 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 stick with Oklahoma, stick with Oklahoma. So I did. Uh, but, uh, because they they had just come off of an ugly loss the previous week, uh, but I don't think anybody was expected to be this ugly. Where it ended up being a forty nine to nothing shutout, the Red River shutout, I believe it's being called, of uh, <laughs> Texas destroying Oklahoma. Yep, and and what did I say about this? This this is a big deal because I, I mean Oklahoma will not be patient with Venables. They won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, you know, this is the kind of they, they now have been embarrassed two weeks in a row, right? Right. And and you're look you're starting to do the math on that, and they're two years removed from, or two two years away from transitioning to the SEC, which welcomed the big time football when they get into that league. Um, they cannot afford to let this play out for three years, for example, and let Venables figure it out and get his feet under him. You know what I mean? So I, I that's where I'm, I'm now going to call it right now. My hot take, whatever you want to call it is Venables is on the hot seat. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't get shit turned around here in the next two weeks, uh, you're going to start hearing about him getting fired. Right. I've seen some people uh, call it the Husker curse, the Nebraska curse this year, and that uh, the teams that beat us then go on to lose afterwards because it's happened to Northwestern, <laughs> Northwestern and now Oklahoma. Georgia, Georgia Southern, Oklahoma. Yep. Oklahoma's lost. They lost to Kansas State. They lost to TCU. They lost to Texas. And now they have to play uh, Kansas coming up here. You know, a Kansas right. that clearly has some talent. Right. Well, right, exactly. And if Kansas is able to win that game, that's a that'll that'll still be a big win for Kansas, no doubt. And that's that's a big loss for them, right? So mm. and and that game is at yeah. uh, uh at Oklahoma as well. So a loss at oh, home okay. to Kansas would be really brutal for them. That would be if it happened. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, I, I'm not as convinced as you just because this is Brett Venable's uh, first year. And actually, I went on the there's a Sooners Reddit, right? Like there's a Huskers Reddit that's for their sure, sports. Sure. Um, and I saw them. They called uh, Lincoln Riley like the man who will not be named or something like that. Uh, and they were saying how, you know, he took the uh, the best coaching talent, the best player talent with him when he left, you know. So I think there's no love lost amongst the uh, Oklahoma faithful uh, for Lincoln Riley because of the situation they put him in. So they they seem to be saying, you know, uh, when uh, – You're cutting Bob, him a break, when, when, when Bob Stoops took over, right, he had a really rough start at first too, but, you know, he obviously he turned it around. Um, so I think they're preaching patience, you know, and it is his first year, right? So it, it would be unusual. It would be unusual and very expensive to fire a coach of his caliber uh, in year one because of the huge no, you're, you're, buyout it would require. You're right, but uh, I mean, th- but they're falling off the map. Th- this isn't a oh, you know, they've taken a step back. They've like been pushed off a cliff, and <laughs> and so it's. It, it now it, it is. It's going to be about the margin of victory or the margin of loss. That's going to matter. Uh, but you're right. And if you're hearing that from the Reddit folks, that's good. That that means the Oklahoma faithful are 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 showing patience and recognizing and writing off this year as oh, this is a transitional year. We're going to give Brent you know some time to recruit his players and and get his staff right and all that. And that's fine. But if not this year, then next year. Uh, it would not surprise me if Oklahoma got really restless if this blowout scenario continues to play out. Mm-hmm. I think I saw a joke that, uh, uh, you know, because they were rotating a lot of quarterbacks in this game because uh, nobody mm-hmm. was doing well. And they were saying that, like, the punter had the best uh, throwing stats because they went for, like, a fake punt and got it <laughs> uh, uh, on one play. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's rough in Norman right now. Of course, this is the same Oklahoma team that destroyed us. So right, I don't know what that exactly. says about Nebraska. Well, well, no, you know exactly what that says about us. <laughs> yeah, we're if they're a worm, we're a slug. I guess that's what it <laughs> exactly. <means. laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, and then last game we'll talk about here is uh, Alabama versus Texas A&M. Uh, this was yeah. at Alabama um, and obviously has some interesting um, – background connotations with kind of the bit of a, the spat that uh, Saban and Jimbo Fisher had in the off season, right? Where they right. kind of uh, had a little duel of words. Um, and uh, it ended up both being an Alabama victory, uh, but a lot closer than they would have liked of 24 to 20. Um, and actually uh, Alabama had four turnovers in the game, missed two field goals, uh, using their second team quarterback because Bryce Young has been injured earlier in the year. Um, and AM actually, uh, they were like, there were only like 10 seconds left, uh, and AM was close to the end zone. They threw a pick into the end zone, right? It was like game over. Uh, but then there was a pass interference called on that play, which gave AM a first down. And they were at like one the two, more shot. It was, yeah, like the two yard line, three seconds left. So they had one more shot. If they scored the touchdown, they just win the game, right? Because they're only down four. Um, and then they don't, they can't do it. They lose. Uh, but that's how close Alabama came to being upset here. Yep. Well, I just have a feeling that Nick's going to get this righted. You know, I just, you know, 
Maybe I have too much confidence in Nick Saban and his staff, but but I think he's going to right that ship. Mm-hmm. I mean, whenever you lose a quarterback, that's a big damn deal. That's a big deal. And uh, and so we saw the kind of new quarterback performance that happens where just the wheels come off, and it's not just the quarterback that 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 does well that does poorly rather, but then it becomes contagious and other. groups of the team just decide that this is the game they're going to collapse to, but then they get their shit together and boom, they're, they're back on it, you know? So it's classic Alabama. They got, somebody got close to them, but they still win. Right. And now let's see what happens next week. Well, to the quarterback's credit, like I, you know, he did cough up the ball or throw an interception in certain scenarios. Um, but he also beat him with his legs several times. He's a good runner, and he threw some dimes as well. So he's clearly, obviously, he's on Alabama's team, so he's clearly talented. Um, and I believe that uh, Bryce Young, who did get hurt, it's not a season-ending injury, and I saw some speculation, or I think it was an article, saying that Saban's hoping he'll play this weekend against Tennessee, Alabama's next opponent. Um so Young will be back. It's just kind of a question of when and will he be actually be, you know, effective. Right. 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 So. Yep. I, I get it. Well, since Tennessee is having a good season or a relatively good season, and that's a big game, I, I think if if Bryce can be back, he's going to be back. You know what I mean? Like they're going to do everything they can to make that happen. But even if not, this other very talented understudy is going to be in his second start and he's going to look better he's going to look more comfortable right uh speaking of that uh moving ahead to the week seven games uh one of the big ones is alabama tennessee uh which is at tennessee it's uh number three ranked alabama versus number six ranked tennessee so very high profile game um and i'm inclined to believe that because alabama's coming off of this rough week you know and may have still have the second team quarterback in that position right during the game and everything. Uh, I think this is Tennessee's opportunity to strike. Cause I can remember in years past where Tennessee has gone off to a good start and they're feeling pretty good and they play Alabama and get destroyed. I feel like that's right. happened a couple of times. Um, so this might be their opportunity to reverse the curse as you might say. Right. Okay. Well, you know what? You may be right. And, and Tennessee has been on the cusp, right? Uh, like you say, for a few years here, they've been a good football team, but they've they've not been able to get over the hump on some critical games. This might be what they need. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm going to go ahead and predict that uh, Tennessee manages to pull out the upset and is able to beat Alabama. Um, and I'm going to say it'll be a score of, uh, let's say, 28 Tennessee to uh, 24 Alabama. 28-24. Okay. That's a good score. That's a good score. I could see that playing out for sure. Well, as I look at that game, and maybe it's my Nick Saban bias, as much as I hate the guy, I respect the guy. Um, and I just have a feeling you give him another week after a poor performance, and when he's been challenged by having some key injuries and things of that nature, he will challenge every one of his staff, every one of his assistant coaches to make all areas of uh, Alabama football rise to another level. And uh, so my experience tells me that 
this Alabama team next week will look a lot different than the one that played out uh, A&M and that he uh, that they play really well and they play clean. And so if Tennessee wins this game, they're going to earn it because Alabama is not going to lay down and, and fumble and, you know, do a bunch of stupid things that gift it to Tennessee. Not that they'll play perfect, but I have a feeling Alabama is going to play really well. And I think Alabama is going to have a 14-point victory. So now the question is, um, what is that score? So that'd be like a 30, maybe 35-21. Okay, 35-21. Certainly could be. Um, part of the reason I, I have a little bit more confidence is because that uh, that game against AM wasn't the first time Alabama tripped up, right? They almost lost to right. Texas right at the beginning of the yep. year, too, with Bryce yep. Young. Uh, as their quarterback. Um, so I just have a feeling that Alabama is very good, you know, but not the juggernaut, right, that they sometimes are. Right. They're not there yet. Right. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm with you on that. Another big game, this time in the Big 12, is uh, TCU coming off that win against Kansas, uh, playing against Oklahoma State, number eight versus number 13. Wow. And is that at? TCU? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll go first on this one. TCU wins this football game. Um, but Oklahoma State, it's going to be tight. And, and I think uh, they both have pretty salty defenses. But again, like you said, it's the Big 12. So I think it's going to be much like the Kansas score. What was that Kansas TCU score? What did that end up being? 38 uh, 31. That sounds perfect. 38 31 TCU. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I wasn't actually planning on predicting this one with a score, but we can do that. Oh. Okay, sorry. That's all good. Uh, you said 38-31, <laughs> right? Yes, I did. Okay. But a TCU victory. Right. Cool. Um, I think I'm going to uh, maybe go a bit differently because Oklahoma State did play against Baylor, right? Um, yes. Which was another game we beat them. predicted, right? And they beat them. Um, so I believe both these teams are undefeated currently, uh, going mm-hmm. up against each other in the big 12. So it, it will be a, a good game. Obviously TCU beat, uh, Baylor as well. Um, right. So they've both beaten them. So I think I'm going to say that Oklahoma state wins, uh, I'll tell you what, to keep it fun. I'll say same score, but reverse 38, 31. <laughs> All right. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, of course, we have uh, in the Big Ten a very big game on the east side of the conference, uh, Penn State versus Michigan, number 10 versus number 5. Uh, it is at home for Michigan, um, so you would like to say that this should be a, uh, a W for them. I'm not sure if you've talked with uh, your friend Brian Clower about this game at all. Uh, a little bit, but he's very nervous because, frankly, Michigan has not looked all that great right for a couple of weeks. I mean, they got they allowed Iowa to make make the Iowa victory or the Iowa game ugly. They came away with a victory, but it was an ugly victory, right? And then uh, and then again this past weekend, uh, you know, Michigan uh, um, played Indiana, a team that we had just beat by two touchdowns, and at halftime it's still tied. Right. So they struggled a little bit, and their quarterback, who you know at the beginning of the season just looked like an All-American, you know, Heisman Trophy type player, uh, has struggled in recent weeks. You know, he's, he, in throwing the football, he's he's overthrown uh, quite a number of players. 
and he's uh, he's not quite gotten enough air underneath the ball. You know, his trajectory isn't quite right, and so it makes it a little harder for people to catch those deep passes. And so teams have been able to kind of tighten up on the on the coverage a little bit because it's like, okay, this this quarterback is is kind of inconsistent throwing the deep ball. But then uh, I feel like I saw some improvement in that Indiana game, especially in that second half where where uh, McCarthy started to uh, put a little bit more air underneath those balls and and all of a sudden it was working. So I'm going to predict that Michigan has found a little something there that McCarthy just we just watched him mature before our eyes a little bit in these last two weeks and he was able to do that while still winning. Um, and I'm going to say Michigan wins that game because it's in the big house and Penn State who has been kind of under the radar. They are an under under the radar number 10, right? But this is a team that barely beat Purdue, who I consider a good team, not a great team. And there's been some other games that, I mean, Penn State did beat Auburn pretty soundly. Uh, so they've got some quality wins, but but I just have a feeling Michigan's going to be the better team here. Do I need to give you a number? Yes, you do. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to say a little lower scoring than some of the other games we've been talking about. This is a big 10. So I'm going to say 31-24 Michigan. 31-24 Michigan. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, So I was just doing some quick searching up. And you're right. uh, Penn State did nearly lose to Purdue. And their last game, uh, they beat Northwestern, but it was only 17-7. So kind of similar to... Michigan, right? They haven't played a lot, any of the real top tier teams, right? Except for Auburn, who they did beat soundly, uh, though Auburn clearly isn't one of the best in the SEC this year. Uh, right. But, but, but that, that means they have a bye week, right? Correct. They, they're coming off of a bye week. Um, so they've had uh, two full weeks to prepare for this Michigan game and um, get healthy. Right. So I think I'm going to predict that uh, uh, Penn State, because of that bye week and because of some of those struggles of Michigan that you mentioned, uh, that they'll be able to pull out the upset and win in a, in a close one. Um, so I'm going to go with a bit lower scoring, and I think I'll say that Penn State wins in, let's say, 24-21 uh, to 21 over Michigan. Wow. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Yep. That could very well. I mean, that bye week definitely is a big advantage for Penn State. There's no doubt about it. They'll be able to bring some new wrinkles and stuff to Michigan that, that Michigan will not have been able to prepare for on on film and things of that nature. That's what good coaching staffs do. Uh, but I still think the 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 uh, t- the talent ratio or the talent level is still in favor of Michigan. So I'm I'm comfortable with my pick. Fair enough. Um... And I'm just going to mention a couple of games here real quick. Really, we have great games in all of the uh, conferences this week, so it's going to be a good weekend to watch some football. Uh, because yeah. in the ACC, we have NC State going up against Syracuse, uh, number 15 versus number 18, respectively. Um, we also have number four, Clemson, going up against Florida State. Uh, and then in the Pac-12, we have number seven, USC, versus number 20, Utah, at Utah. So. Mm. Interesting. And USC seems to be flying under the radar again. Uh, I don't know how you do that at USC, but that's my perception is that, you know, they're not getting a lot of press. Uh, UCLA, frankly, is getting as much press as they are. And um, um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with Utah, right? 
because Utah just had a battle this past week. They played UCLA, did they not? They did. And UCLA beat them. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, Utah is going to have their backs against the wall. And they don't they don't win this game. They're kind of out of it. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Um, and looking at USC's schedule, you're right. Uh, they haven't, once again, they haven't really played against, like, the top-tier teams, right? They did beat Stanford pretty soundly. Um, right. But then but they Washington. Right. They beat Washington State. Uh, and then they nearly lost to Oregon State. Uh, that was 17-14. Um, so I think, you know, they have, yeah, they have some of the tougher teams on their schedule are in the second half of the year, kind of like us. So I think this is their time to really prove their medal as it were. Right. Or not. Yep. Right. So, um, what, what was the one that was, uh, that you mentioned just before that, uh, uh, Clemson, Florida state. Nope. Before that. Oh, North Carolina state. Yes. Okay. That, that Syracuse, North Carolina state game. That's one to keep an eye on because that North Carolina State coach is another one that kind of is in the outskirts, but certainly in the in the conversation of potential uh, candidates for a Nebraska job. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if we made a run at a guy like that. Now, why would a guy leave in uh, NC State and the ACC for for the Big Ten? Well, the only thing I uh, I could argue would be because Nebraska could probably pay him a heck of a lot more than NC State could. And he would have the benefit of, you know, the fan base and the support, the NIL support, and um, and all that. And something we're going to talk about next week is, you know, there was an announcement this week uh, regarding uh, a new NIL collective for Nebraska that could be quite significant for Nebraska athletes. And we'll get into that next week. Okay. Well, yeah, I hadn't heard about that, so that will be interesting to go over. Um, so yeah, there's lots of exciting football this week, and obviously it's another critical week for uh, us Nebraska fans. You know, we kind of said that this the four game stretch right of uh, Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, and Illinois was going to decide uh, kind of the season for us and Mickey Joseph's you know potential future as our head coach, right? And we're we're halfway there. We got two of them down. But we've got the two harder ones to come here, so right. we'll see if, how he if goes. Mickey goes three and one out of these four. I say he's still very much in the hunt for the head coaching job because that's a hell of a job, right? But I, I'm just not sure. I, two and two, yeah. Thank you very much, Mickey. But and maybe we find a way to try to offer you an opportunity to stay on staff, but not quite the head coaching choice, right? So I, I feel like these next two weeks are super critical for Mickey. Mm-hmm. I agree. So if you out there enjoy listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also find us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a rating or a review there. We always love hearing from the fans, and we will leave your read your feedback out on the air. So thank you, you out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.